would like to join me in your Bibles, we're going to be this morning in the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. The uh, 30th chapter. So almost, almost to the end here. Before we get into this morning's uh, study of the Lord's Word, just wanted to make a few comments, some things that um, has happened in the past couple of weeks or will, will be happening, some blessings. Many of you have been praying for Diane Blakeway um, and her housing situation, and by God's grace, <clears throat> He has opened up a door for her, and she has moved into a new house, a new apartment. And um, God is really blessed in that way. And I know that many of you have been praying for that. So we want to praise the Lord for answering that prayer and um, continue to pray for her. She has a house full of moved stuff now that's un, that is not unpacked yet. And so you know how that can be stressful. So we want to pray for her in that process as she um, continues that move and thank the Lord for what He has already done with her as well. We also want to make mention uh, today is Joe and Lori Pastore's last Sunday with us uh, while they live here. And they will probably come back and visit, but they are moving to North Carolina. And um, I was talking with Joe this morning, and they've been in the church for, I think, 15 years was, the, was what they thought. When he gets that long, you probably don't really, you just kind of like guess between numbers, but 15 years was what they thought this morning. And they're going to be missed. They've been a, a big part, a vital part of the church ministry. And um, whether it be from the security team that Joe has helped lead and all of the good food that Lori has baked uh, throughout the years for the church people, we're probably all a little bit better and heavier for it. And, uh, and it's been good. And then with the with the hospitality team, Lori has been a real blessing in that area. So we're going to miss them, and we want to just say a short prayer over them for their journeys, for the process that they're going to go through. So if you just bow with me, we're going to pray for Joe and Lori. Father, we do thank you for Joe and Lori. We thank you for the time that you, you have allowed them to live here and to serve here. Um, thank you for what they've meant to us as a church body. We pray for them. We pray, Lord, that you would be with them in the process of moving. We pray that you would be with them when they arrive, that you would lead them to a good church, that you would allow them to minister to their children the gospel and to be a, a light and a witness. And Lord, you would even bring some change there that would be um, eternal for their family and also that you would um, bless and strengthen them. We pray that uh, you would help and bless the church as we um, transition without having them apart, Lord. I pray that you would bring others in to, to not replace them, Lord, but bring others in to fill some voids and um, just that we could continue to do your work here at Grace. We pray that you'd be with us this morning as we open up your word, help it to be a blessing and a challenge to our hearts as well. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Proverbs chapter 30. Um, Proverbs is a book of the Bible that is probably 
best known as the Book of Wisdom. You, you could almost say it would be the Book of Wisdom. And from the front to the back, you have many statements. I'm going to knock that over at some point, I'm sure. So get it out of the way now. Um, many statements, short even short, pithy statements that are just wise statements that we would just think of as a proverb. And uh, a lot of direction, a lot of instruction in the, book of, in the book of Proverbs for us to learn from and for us to, to, to mimic or to live out. There's the, the book of Proverbs is just full of instruction. As a matter of fact, the first chapter is just about learn. This, these are these are important sayings that you need to learn, and it talks in many ways like a, a father talking to um, their child. For the most part, the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon, who was a man of great wisdom, uh, not just great wisdom from a human perspective, but, but a man of divine wisdom. And the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 4.29 that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. In other words, an immeasurable amount of wisdom and understanding God blessed Solomon with. It says, in the breath of mind, Solomon had a breath of mind like the sand of the seashore. And so we, when we read the book of Proverbs and we read the, uh, Solomon's writings, for the most part, we know that we're going to get some great information for how we can live our lives, how, how we can function in, in the world that we live in, and how we can function well. I would say that that really captures the idea of Proverbs. Proverbs, in many ways, is how to live life well, how to live life as God would want us to live life. A few things about the book of Proverbs that are important to note, as we'll unfold a short portion of it this morning. Number one, it's important to note that Proverbs is not a legalistic book. It's not a, it's not a dogmatic book. It's not a book of imperatives. It's an instructive book. It's a discipleship book. It's a book that's written with great information for someone to follow and for someone to succeed in life. That's what the book of Proverbs is, is, is about. The book of Proverbs is, is like a book written from a loving parent to a child. It'd be something that you would write to one of your children that you loved greatly that you desired greatly for them to succeed in life. You desired for them to, to marry the right person. You desired for them to have the right focus and the right direction in life. You desired for them not to be consumed with, with the fleshly things of this world. You, you desire these things for people that you love and you love with all of your heart. And the book of Proverbs is written in such a way as to give us that instruction. We must remember that it's not a list of rules and regulations. As a matter of fact, the Bible is not a list of rules and regulations if you're a follower of Jesus. The Bible is a list of rules and regulations to those who are unconverted, and, and hence the reason why they respond to it with rebellion. For a believer, the Bible is a letter, a love letter, written to his people because he cared about them, because he cares about us. This is what the book of Proverbs is. It's a book that a loving parent would write to their child, and it's a book that a trusting child will hear and heed. The book of Proverbs is a book that a child who trusts their parents, who trusts their love, and, and not parents in a, in a figurative way. Uh, Proverbs is a book for those who trust God, 
and believe that everything that he has written in the word of God is for their good. Everything that's written in the word of God is for their good. Listen to me, folks. We live in a generation of quote-unquote Christians who look at the word of God and read it to find out the things to, 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 to do, to to limit themselves to everything that is just clear as can be and to find out the things that they can do freely in their sinful nature and in their flesh. They don't look at the Bible as something that they embrace as being a love letter from God that's going to give them every principle in life for they can do right and they can succeed and do well. This is a very dangerous way of thinking. Proverbs harmonizes with last week's message on discernment. We talked last week on on discernment out of Matthew 16 and the principles of discernment. uh, Proverbs harmonizes with that because discernment or wisdom, which is what the book of Proverbs is about, wisdom can be defined as discernment in action. Wisdom is applied discernment. It's when you understand things from God's perspective and you apply them, that's what wisdom is. So as we look at the book of Proverbs, we see certain things, we learn certain truths, and as we apply them, that is the wisdom that we experience. In Proverbs 30, we're going to just focus in on uh, four verses this morning or five verses that um, give us some wisdom, give us some things. I, I, I believe <coughs> they give us some wisdom for today, some real practical wisdom for today, some things I think that every one of us needs to consider. We need to think about, we need to ponder what is, what is being said by these, um, in these four truths. So in Proverbs 30, we have four truths from four unlikely sources. Four very small, insignificant animals are going to teach us four very large, significant truths. And we'll read together, if you want to follow with me, in verse 24. The Bible says in uh, chapter 30, verse 24, four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people that are not strong, yet they make their homes in cliffs, or they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are people not mighty, yet they make their homes in cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. And the lizard you can take in your hand, yet it is in the king's palace. So we have four four truths, four statements of wisdom that are presented to us by four very insignificant animals, okay? And it's interesting because if we go back to the beginning of chapter number 30, we, 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 we read that this proverb is written by Agur, and Agur is, is an insignificant person as well. And I, I wrote down for our first thought of wisdom, is wisdom is small things to small people. Wisdom is taught by small things to small people. And when I say small, I'm just referring to the fact that truth comes to those who are humble. Truth comes to those who um, know themselves to not be significant. Now, let's read the beginning of this chapter. The words of Agur, son of Jaka, the oracle, 
The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have, no, I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended to heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fist, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Bagur basically states his own, his own, his own simpleness his own simplicity, his own smallness. So while you're going to see smallness at the end being a teacher for Agur, Agur sees himself as simple and small as well. He doesn't see himself as mighty. He doesn't see himself as significant. He doesn't see himself as intelligent, while at the same time he's being included in the book of wisdom. We've got to understand that it's little things that God uses to teach little people. Not, not significant people, not great people, not intellectual people, but it's, it's simple things that God uses to teach simple people to see themselves as simple, to see themselves as without. And, and it's interesting because in verse number 5, he says every word of God proves true. But every word of God doesn't prove true unless you've embraced the first four verses. Matter of fact, the wisdom of God's word means nothing to somebody who sees themselves as significant. The Bible says that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That pride lifts us up. Knowledge builds us up in pride. Intellect builds us up in pride. Wisdom is when small things teach small people. God calls, God equips, and God commissions small things like ants, like rock badgers, like locusts, like lizards, like insignificant people. You notice that in each one of these cases, he says, the ant is a people. He's making an analogy here. The rock badger is a people. He's talking about and describing a type of person that God is going to use. This is like what it says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 26 through 31. God hath not chosen the mighty things. God hath not chosen the, the intellectual things. God has not chosen the important things or the significant things, but he's chosen the weak things. He's chosen the insignificant things. He's chosen the nobodies of this world. It is so important that we understand that to be usable by God, we have to Get the fact that humility, brokenness, and emptiness of self is the access door to being used by God. If we don't have humility, we will not be used by God in a way that God wants to and desires to use us. Humility is the way to be used by God. It's seeing yourself as small. Man, the whole world might see Agur and say, whoa, what a wise man. But what matters is how he saw himself. James 4 and verse 6, and also quoted in 1 Peter, he says, but he giveth more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not only does God, not only does God call, equip, and commission those who are small, but God entrusts those who are small with understanding and wisdom. He entrusts them with with, with with the depth of the secrets of Scripture. He doesn't entrust the proud or the arrogant. He entrusts the simple and the small. Matthew 13, verse 17 says, For truly I say to you, 
Many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, and they do not see it. And they long to hear what you hear, but they do not hear it. Humility is not only the access point for us to be used by God, but humility is also the key to discernment and understanding. When we think about the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter number 5, he talks about the, full, the poor, the mournful, the meek, the needy, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, the persecuted. None of these things are significant. Matter of fact, we would all, the world would say with, the world would say with, bold, with bold words, I want to resist all of these things. Yet these are the things that put us in a place where we can understand, truly understand things. A preacher once said, the more I study and learn, the more I realize I don't know. I think there's a lot of truth to that, a lot of humility with that. Wisdom is taught by small things to small people. Wisdom is taught by small things to small people. If you have a humbleness about yourself, you will see things in the simple things that other people just simply can't see. I have a, a relative of mine that has in the past, recently in the, in the last several years, has come to not believe in God. They have forsaken God. And their argument is, is that we just have no, just no evidence of Him. And I just think to myself, there's no evidence of Him. I mean, that's literally like somebody saying that there's, there's a painting on the wall and saying there's no evidence that somebody painted that. I mean, look around you. There's evidence everywhere of God. There's, everywhere, there's, there's evidence everywhere of His creation, of His uh, all of these things, there's evidence everywhere, but in, in intellect and being so above, they can't see the simple things. They can't see the things that are right in front of their eyes because they've risen above those things. It's a horrible thing, a horrible, horrible place to be. God uses simple things to, see, to teach simple people. God uses small things to teach small people. God uses humble things to teach humble people. You want to be used by God? You want to have a depth of understanding of God? Then you need to be simple. You need to be small. You need to see yourself as insignificant, just like Agur did. Man of great wisdom, yet he saw himself through a humble perspective. Small things, small people. Number two, the, the first of the four is the wisdom of the ant or the wisdom from the ant. There are a few truths that we learn from an ant. When we think about ants, I know that every year we go through an ant. I don't know about you guys, but we go through an ant thing in our house. It seems like there's a season where ants decide that our house is their favorite place to be and we just start seeing them come out of all different places. And we rarely look at them and say, I would really love to learn from you. Is there something that you can teach me today, Mr. Ant? Well, there is something that we can learn from the ant. The ant has something significant to teach us. Although the ant is small in size, small in strength, small in ability, it seems like their only ability in life is to be a nuisance to everybody else. There are lessons that we can learn from an ant. There is wisdom to be learned from that very small little animal. 
Proverbs 6 and verse 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So let's look at a few things this morning. What can we learn from the ant? The Bible says this, The ants are people not strong. They have no strength. They're, they're just very, very... And the, the idea of strength here is not that they have no strength in regards to their, in relation to their size, because they do have some strength. They can carry things that are fairly large compared to their size. But in our understanding of strength, in our understanding of significance, they have very little strength. They have very little significance. They have very little ability. They're, 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 they're not a strong people. Yet it says they provide their food in the summer. And it stops there. And there's just a few truths that I want you to, rec- to, to understand. Number one is the ant knows the seasons. The ant knows what season it is. The ant is able to discern when it's summer, when it's winter, when it's springtime, and it's fall. They understand the seasons. They, they get where they are at in their life. And, and it's so important that we, that we see in that ability for them to discern what season it is, that what the Proverbs is teaching us is that somebody with wisdom is somebody who is able to discern what season we're in. I believe in my heart that we're in a very special season as a, as a world, as a, as a nation, as a people. The church is in a very, very important season. It's in a very, very important season of its life, and decisions are being made, and directions are being decided on, and people are not, are not, are not concerned with what season we're in. And by, by, by not being concerned with what season that we're in, we're making the wrong decisions. We're going in the wrong direction because we're choosing based upon our lack of discernment for what season we're in. I believe that it's important. The, 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 the proverb teaches us that it's important, it's wise to be able to discern your seasons. And I'm not talking about summer, winter, spring, and fall. I'm talking about the fact that the Bible tells us that we're in the last days. It's not, even, it's not even questionable, if you take what the Word of God says about what the last days looks like, it's not even questionable that we're in the last days today. It's not even questionable. But we function like we're not in the last days. We're not like the ant that sees winter coming and therefore prepares for winter. We're like the ant that sees winter's coming and denies that winter's coming. 1 Thessalonians, if you want to turn there with me in your Bibles, chapter 5. This is the text about the end times. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brethren. They understand seasons. Now concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need that I that have anything that you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman as they, and they will not escape. This is a picture of during the days of Noah when the flood came. Everybody thought they were fine. Everybody thought they were okay. And that moment that the rain started to fall, no one could get in the ark. They weren't discerning the seasons. They weren't discerning the times. The ant is wise because he knows what season he's in in life. 
He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise, for that day, um, let's see here, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do. It's not saying don't sleep at night. It's saying don't be deceived about what season you're in. Don't be lost in the, in the ways of this world. Don't be like the man in Matthew 25 who his, his master is gone for a long season, so he decides to eat and drink and, and get drunk and party and abuse his fellow man. So don't be like him. Because I tell you something, the master will return, and Matthew 5 makes it very clear, he will destroy him. We don't use those strong words anymore, but Jesus is going to destroy his enemies. It's not going to be a light thing. It's not going to be an easy thing. Our God is a mighty warrior. And those who think or, or become lackadaisical in the last days. They prove themselves not to persevere to the end. The Lord says that their destruction is mighty. This is a burden in my heart. Because we have people that sit in our pews that think that life is about them. They just want to party it up and live it up, and it's all about them. Listen to me. That's not what life is about. It's about serving an almighty God who created things well and good and gives us instructions in books like Proverbs so that we know how to live for Him. God help us. What if He split the sky today? He could. So let us not be sleepy as others do, but let us keep awake and let us be sober. For those who are asleep, sleep at night and those who, are, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, amen, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. For God hath not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to know what season we're in. We're not in the darkness. We're not blind to where we're at. We're not, we're not deceived into thinking that we're not in the last days. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness, but denying its very power. This is where we live. We can't be deceived that we're in the last days. We must know them like the ant. Wisdom knows the last days. The Bible tells us that in the last days in Matthew 24 and also in Luke, it says that it will be like the times of Noah and it will be like the times of Lot. And I don't think we've lived in a generation that was more like the times of Noah and the times of Lot than this generation. Folks, we need to know what season we're in. The second thing that I see from the ants that I think is valuable wisdom is not just to know what season we're in, but he says, secondly, that they 
store up in the summer. In other words, they, they've discerned what season that they're in, and they're, after discerning what season that they're in, they act in accordance with what season that they are in. Does that make sense? They know what season that they're in in life, and so their actions line up with their wisdom for what season that they're in. They're not a surprise when summer comes. They know it's time to work. When winter comes, it's time to sleep. When fall and spring come, it's time to gather up strength for summer and for the work and for the sleep. The ant is constantly doing things purposefully in light of the season that they are living in. We, we, as, we, as, we as 21st century humanity, what we do is we ask questions like, why are we being persecuted? Why are people forsaking the truth so much? Why is the world so opposed to Christianity? The problem with this is simple. We don't know what season we're in. The Bible has constantly said that all of these things will be, will be likely in the last days. The government is not going to become the church's friend in the last days. I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. Their goal, like the world's goal, is going to be to stop the direction of the church. They're not our friends. This world system is not our friend. We've got to know that. We've got to understand that. This is the last days. The world is going to rise up against you. Jesus said to his disciples 2,000 years ago, the world hated me, the world will hate you as well. And that's, that's, that's a given. We ask these questions because we haven't identified what season we're in. Jesus said that they hated me, they will hate you. Jesus said all those who live godly will suffer persecution. Jesus said that there'll be a great falling away in the last days. All of these things are prophesied in Scripture. And then he says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at these things. Why are we so surprised? Why are we so surprised? We don't know what season we're in. They know their season. They know what to do in their season. Let me just give you, I'm going to give you six or seven things if you want to write these things down. Seven things that you need to do knowing, seven things that the Bible teaches we need to do knowing that we're in the last days. Knowing what season we're in, these are seven things. Number one is be watchful. Be watchful. 1 Peter 4 and verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Being watchful is just being prepared, just to know what's going on, know why it's going on, and being watchful, being sober-minded, not being given to the flesh, but being, being um, controlled by the Spirit. Self-controlled and sober-minded. Not uh, Sober-minded, soberness means not to be controlled by an outside, by, by the flesh. I mean, that's the way I put it. Not to be controlled by outside things other than the Spirit of God. Galatians says, uh, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Do not be controlled by outside. That's what he's saying. If you believe that you're in the last days, you should be, it's, 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 it's literally like being in a war. Or just to say that we're, in the, we're on the front lines and the war hasn't started yet. What he's saying is, is be watchful. Because that enemy is going to throw something at you. And if you're not ready for it, you're going to be hit by it. Be sober, be watchful. Number two is be ready. Matthew 24, 44, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Make sure that you're a follower of Christ. 
So make sure that you're walking with Christ faithfully each and every day. Not, not comforted by a decision that you made when you were five years old. Not comforted by something that happened yesterday, but only taking security in the fact that you are walking with Christ now. First John is a book that's replete with what does a true convert look like. And every verb in First John that relates to that reality is in the present tense. Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? Present tense. It's not to look back and see what happened yesterday to take security that we're, we're, we're in Christ. It's am I in Christ today? And I get that once you're in Christ, you're never out of Christ. But there are many people, the Scripture says, that believe they're in Christ and, and learn later that they're never, they were never in Christ. That's the warning of really all of Scripture. Hebrews, don't think that you're, that don't, don't be falsely deceived that you're in if you're not in. Be equipped. 2 Timothy 2.15, do not be, do not, uh, do you, do your best to present yourselves um, to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Equip yourself with the word of God. Equip yourself with understanding, with a, with a, with a, with a, a submission to the Word of God. So commit, equip yourself in those ways. When you see things in God's Word, be obedient to them. One of the great things that we need, we need to learn as a 21st century church is not just to know God's Word, but it's to submit to it. It's to surrender our will to the will of the Word of God. We have a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge in their heads but when it comes to the submission part, there's no, it's just not there. We need to be a people that are submiss- submitted. That is the equipping process. Do you guys think if you're not submitted to the Word of God today, that when great tribulation and trials come into your life, you're going to automatically just turn it on? You're not. You prepare for winter when? When do you prepare for winter? In the, in the fall, in the summer. You work Preparing for winter. Not when winter's here. You prepare for it in the summer and in the fall and in the spring. You need to be equipping yourself when we're not at war as a church. When we do have a time of peace in our, in our culture or whatever, we need to be preparing for the fact that we know, according to Scripture, that things are going to get difficult. Be equipped with what the Word of God says. Be separated. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be your father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. Be separate from this world. Listen, folks, the world is going to capture you with their philosophies. This is what they do. They're going to capture you with your, their philosophies and then they're going to throw something at you that is contrary to what the Word of God teaches, and you're going to be so captured by their philosophies that you're going to be tempted to forsake what the Word of God says. It's what the world does. They capture us with temptation. They capture us with with lust. They capture us with pride. They capture us with self-righteousness. And then they throw something at us that causes us to make a decision between being praised or being right. That's how they work. We've got to learn to be separate from the world. Think differently than they do. 
walk differently than they do, talk differently than they do, do differently than they do. Next, be evangelistic. If we're in the last days, people need to hear the gospel, don't they? 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says, Wake up. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not continue in sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. In other words, there are people dying, and they're going to hell. Stop living for yourself and live for them. I wonder sometimes, I was, I'm going to just be real practical. I hope I don't offend anybody. I might, but I hope I don't. But I think sometimes we walk down the street more worried about somebody having a mask on their face than having a mask on their soul. It's true. When's the last time we walked through a store and noticed somebody is going to hell versus noticing whether or not they have a mask on their face? I think we've lost some things, folks. We've lost a spiritual understanding of what God requires of us. People are dying and going to hell. And we're more concerned about their physical state than we are about their spiritual state. We will say something to people. I've walked into store, and I walked into store one day, and my mask was not even off my nose, but a little bit. And they will quickly tell, sir, pull your mask up. And I was fine with that. But that means very little when it comes to eternal souls. May we not be looking for the physical more than we're looking for the spiritual. Those people have eternal souls. They can wear a thousand masks. If they die without Jesus Christ, they will go to a, to a godless hell. You believe that? The Bible teaches. We need to be evangelistic. We need to be concerned more about people's souls than we have been. Number, number six or five, be purposeful. In every way, be purposeful. The ants are purposeful in every season, preparing for the next season. Ephesians 5.16, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. In other versions, it says redeem your time, because the days are evil. In other words, don't waste your time. One of the things that I've, always, I've often found in my own life as a follower of Jesus is that the devil is great at filling our time up with things that don't really matter. He's good at it, isn't he? I've had times in my life where it's like, I'm going to get rid of this so I can serve the Lord more, right, with more of my time. Man, it's not even a matter of time before he's filled it up with something else that has nothing to do with the Lord. What do we do if we believe we're in the last days? What do we do if we believe that the Lord could come back today, tomorrow? What if we believe that persecution of the church is going to, going to become massive in the next few years? These are the things that we do. The last thing is, is be gathered. Be gathered together. And again, this might be a, a touchy subject for some, and, and I just want to even challenge the ones who are watching on video this morning. Listen to me, the gathering of the church together is not an option. Zoom is not a, Zoom is not a, 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 a substitute for being gathered together as the church. I'm not saying that to be mean or harsh. That's simply the truth. When the Bible says in 
Hebrews 10, to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It is talking about assembling together. It is coming together. And it says this, it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some is. In other words, some people have made a habit out of forsaking the assembling of yourselves. And he says this, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In, in other words, as we see, this is, this is honestly, this is one of the strongest commands when it comes to seeing the last days. And we've looked at six different things to do. This is one of the strongest when it comes to you need to do this as you see the day coming near. As you see the, the, the Lord's return, as you see persecution, as you see end times drawing near, you need to make it a, a point to be in the Lord's house with God's people. We don't need anything more than being in God's house with God's people when this stuff comes to the forefront or comes to the surface. We need each other. If we, if we make it into a habit of not coming together, when things get bad, we will not have each other. We will not have each other. We'll have a semblance of having each other, but we will not have each other. We need each other. We need to be able to look across the aisle and see each other. We need to be able to fellowship before and after church. We need these things. This stuff is not optional. This is one of those areas, folks, listen to me. This is one of those areas where the, the, the test is this. The Word of God says something clearly. The world system says something else. What do we do? What do we do? Is there, is there ever a reason for us to not find God's word as the authority? I would challenge you, and I'm going to close. I challenge you to read the context of Hebrews 10 surrounding all of those things surrounding it's amazing. All of the things surrounding that verse of not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together are so important. They're major. Like the fact that if you fall away, the next verses, if a man falls away after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for his sins. What's going to keep him from falling away? What's going to help him not to fall away? Well, just look at the verses before not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. Why? Because people are going to fall away, and it's going to cost them eternally. The church is meant to protect and guard against that. Listen, folks, the church is strongest when it's together. And if the world knows this, and, and if we believe that there's a satanic attack, if that there's actually a devil, and he actually has demonic forces working in our world to bring to bring opposition to God, if we actually believe that, we know that the things that God desires, Satan wants to destroy. And one of those things is the church. And what he knows is the gathering of the church is super important. So he will destroy the gathering of the church and ultimately he will destroy the church. If you've, ever, if you've studied history at all, Europe went through that process where they just slowly stopped meeting together. And now their churches are museums. We're not far from there. We're not far from there. Two dangers concerning 
seasons. Number one is a lack of discernment to know what season we're in. And number two is a lack of discipline to keep doing what's right in that season. The ant did both. The ant knew the season, and the ant was devoted and committed to doing what was right in that season. He was active and purposeful to prepare himself for the next season. My challenge to us as the church this morning is we need to be preparing for something. There's a season that's either on us or a season that's coming. And if we don't take it seriously that winter is either on us or coming for the church, then we are gonna we, we miss we miss what the scriptures clearly teach. And then it will it will start to rain one day. And we'll all say, right, what's it raining for? Because it's been warning of rain for 120 years. We've been, we've been warned. Slowly and surely we've been warned. We must prepare ourselves, church. We must prepare ourselves for what lies ahead. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the wisdom of the ant. Help us to be small Help us to see ourselves in the light of what Agur says about himself. This simple man uh, saw himself in so many ways just as being nothing, and yet, God, you used him in a mighty way. And we'll see that in this next few weeks unfold. Please help us to take your word seriously. Help us, Lord God, to commit to doing what it requires of us. And even, Lord, it's just telling us what's best. And just know that. Our Heavenly Father caring about us and sharing with us His, his heart through His Word. Help us to be humbled by it, to be humbled before it, and to be submissive to it. We love you, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together today. We pray your blessing upon this day and this week. In Jesus Christ's name.